0: And all of God's people said? Amen. Amen. Now, I hope I'm working. Am I working? I'm working. Thank you, Lord. And I promised I'm not going to go up too far and give people cricks in the neck. And you may have noticed that the ropes are down. Oh, 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 I heard... (laughs) Didn't want to fight City Hall. Anyway, and uh, wanted people to feel comfortable because we do have more and more people coming who are guests and leaning in and not sure about all of you. Neither am I. And uh, so we want to grow together. So this morning, um, I have a few things I'm going to share at the end of the service just by way of catch up, but we really want to focus on the person of Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. So. The text that we're in is one that we're going to have to park on for a number of weeks, actually, in order to let some of the reality of it sink in. But today, just looking at it most straightforwardly, I'm um, going to read it to us. If you're um, without a Bible and you want to see it for yourself in the Word of God, the little paperback version in the, in the pew, page 5, 9, uh, 69. 569 is where it is. And also, I'm going to put it on the screen. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And today, we're talking about empty. And of course, I will explain that. Everybody's like, what is that besides Pastor John's sermon? (laughs) Keep your shirt on. Okay. So here we go. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what I want. There it is. Here's what it says. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men." And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And all of God's people said... Amen to that. One day he's coming and that'll all be settled who's in charge, and we will all confess willingly or unwillingly that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray together. We come today, God, as your broken people, thankful that we are sinners saved by grace, that you work sanctification in us in spite of the fact that we stumble and sometimes drag our feet. Sometimes we're running ahead quickly. Thank you for, God, the evidences of new life sitting in the room today, people who have entered into life with you in recent days. Thank you for that sanctifying, life-changing work. Thank you for those of us who've been in the kingdom a while that now have um, maybe fresh ears to hear and uh, God, just continue to increase, cre- increase our tribe, increase it by your grace. This morning, give us, uh, again, ears to hear that which the Spirit might speak to the church. I offer this uh, humble communication to you, Holy Spirit, uh, in order to accomplish anything worthwhile. I ask for help, the quickening of your gifts. Uh, The help of your spirit in the hearts of your people as well as myself in the great name of Jesus God We acknowledge like Paul who is adequate for these things None of us can fully grasp it, but fill us up today. We ask for help in Jesus great name. We pray. Amen so our title today is empty I was struck by the power of words. There was a friend of mine who was quite an intellectual. He handed me a book one day, Words Have Meaning. And I was thinking about that in the last few weeks. I was, My wife and I stayed up on my day off one evening to watch a documentary called I Am Malala. Or he named me Malala. Does that ring a bell with anybody? It's a young Pakistani girl who believed in women being educated in a culture that didn't agree with it and in 2012 was shot in the head and survived and uh, has become a champion for women's rights, especially for girls, to be educated around the world and has a death sentence on her from the Taliban. If she goes back to the Swat Valley in Pakistan, they'll take her out. Her father really is more of the hero. You don't know much of that unless you watch the documentary because of the groundwork he laid with his daughter, here's a man with a Muslim background who gets the power of this sometimes more than we do. They said, what did you think about the man who shot your daughter? And he said, a man didn't shoot my daughter. It was an ideology. It was the power of words, wrong words, wrong thinking that possesses people. And I'm a believer in the spiritual world. The enemy comes with power behind that and also possesses people. But that is what, he said, attacked my daughter. And that's what they are fighting against. The power of words and ideology. I thought about that because the word empty is kind of a powerful word, isn't it? I'm sure as you read the text with me this morning, you picked up where I got it, right? Where the title comes from, referencing the person of the Lord Jesus. But think about the power of the word empty for just a minute. Somebody's empty boast. You know, you ever have that? You better not do that again, or, and the other person says, or what? (laughs) It's an empty boast, right? What are you going to do about it? nothing. There's a negative side, a negative use of the word empty. For example, you'll all relate to this. Anybody ever had that happen to you? That's a bummer when that empty hits. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. I've only done it twice in my life. How about you, Don? Where is he? 25 times. We have prayer reading tonight. We know who to put on the top of the list. it's a powerful word right empty in a negative way when you see that it also can be positive like when you're praying for an empty parking space my mother prays for empty parking and she gets them she really annoys me maybe god annoys me because he answers i don't know really an empty okay you're looking for a house. I remember coming cross-country one time, Sherry and I from seminary, and uh, we're into the um, Lake Erie area. Had no idea there was a major car race going on. Could not find a... Anybody ever sleep in your car? You know what I mean. So in that case, empty is a good thing. Like when you see that sign, you know that's good news. There are times you want something empty. You want to empty the trash, young man. That's a good thing. Or young lady. You want to empty your inbox on your computer, right? Anybody feel good when you get there? I haven't made it yet. I got three I can't get rid of. Anyway, I got, it's empty. There's, it's full of meaning, both positive and negative. And today's text speaks about it from both directions, if you will. The positive and the negative power of being empty. Let me just mention, because it would be wrong for me not to, that the text is one of the most important texts in the New Testament. If you're not aware of that, you should be aware of it. There are three main things about the text. I'm going to just give you some words. This is the word for emptying, the Greek word, kenosis. And in theological circles, this is referred to as the kenosis passage, the emptying passage. So people who study theology and read books about Christology, they will find out uh, that this is a very, very weighty text in the New Testament because you have to kind of read between the lines and unpack the Greek a little, but it is a very concise statement of the divinity of Jesus, that before he came into human form, he was actually one of the members of the triune Godhead. His pre-existence is layered into the language of this text. We won't unpack it all today, but it's there. And therefore, it's a Christological passage. Do you know what I mean by that? You've heard of theological stuff? Anybody ever hear that word, theology? Well, all you have to do is change the opening word, and you change what reference you're referring to. So what do you think Christological is about? You all pass the test, all right. So it's about Jesus, right? If it's about the spirit, you use the, uh, the Greek word for spirit, pneuma. And it's pneumatology, and you can go on and on. If it's about the last days, it's eschatos, eschatology. Have I lost anybody? Okay, you get what I'm saying. So this is just one part, and this is a very heavily Christological passage. But one other thing, it's also hortative. That's Bible talk for an exhortation, right? Exhortation is an encouragement. We all like to be encouraged, don't we? Thank you. And this text encourages us by saying, stop that and do this. Okay, so don't you like being encouraged? I got encouraged over the weekend. Never mind. Uh, And sometimes it's in my face, and sometimes it's you can do this, and uplifting. It's a hortative text. So I just wanted you to be aware of that as we park on it for a few weeks, but today we want to especially press into this whole issue of the kenosis, that is the emptying of our Savior for us, because we're celebrating the table, that would seem to be appropriate, don't you think, that we concentrate on that. And there's two words, I'm just going to, this is going to be short, because what I really want to do is I want to spend time talking about Jesus this morning as a congregation, Let me just sprinkle out a little bit of uh, uh, encouragement to be pondering how we can speak life to each other this morning because of the way God's spirit is working in our lives, if he is. Don't make anything up, but if something's happening, feel free to encourage one another, okay? We're going to do that in a few minutes. But let me just mention those texts that we saw. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. How do you like that? I want to look at these words for a second. Selfishness, erethea You know what this word is referring to? And I would love to say this kind of stuff never happens among Christians, but that would be bogus to make such a statement. This word means electioneering. What a perfect word to talk about right now. I am so amazing, you know, whatever it is. You get what I'm saying? I don't have to unpack politics, do I? It's all over the place. Self-aggrandizing. Who's the king of the mountain? God. Yeah, he is. (laughs) Not us. (laughs) But that's what's involved in that word. He's saying don't do anything out of trying to climb up the mountain over your brothers and sisters. And I'm afraid sometimes that happens. But I'm not going to park on that today. I'm parking on Jesus. (laughs) All right. So selfishness, arethea That's a Greek word for those of you who like to write those things down. It's the word for electioneering. But then there's a second word in your version, the uh, New American Standard, empty conceit. This is kind of fun. Do you know what a doxology is? Right. When we sing a doxology, we're glorifying God. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. We've already learned what this passage is. It's the kenosis passage. Can you see the beginning of that word right there? So it's empty glory, like a bag of wind. A person whose self-image is puffed up, he's just sure he's the cat's meow. Thank you. That'll work. Vainglory is the old language. Anybody remember those? Anybody old? Old? Anybody mature like me and remember, (laughs) vainglory, that was the word, right? Unearned self-satisfaction, it's empty, puffed up, inflated self-opinion. Put that off. Don't do that. That's exactly the opposite of the spirit of our Savior. Let me give you the NIV version, it kind of helps... Explain it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, climbing up the ladder, or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. This is this is free. This wasn't in in what I charged you for. Uh, I believe it was. Um, yeah, it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other writers as well who point out. Un- Unless you can see your sin as more vile than the other people around you that you've got pegged. You haven't made any progress. Ooh. You haven't made any progress yet. Can, can you understand how that... does? Any? Are you stuck on that? Well, he did this terrible thing. Yeah, but... You've been given more light. You've been a recipient of more grace. How come you're not further along from where you are compared to that? You get it? See, so we can always figure out everybody else's dirt. Really good at that. But we have a really hard time seeing our own. So that's part of what's involved in this. this. This is why this is so cool for communion today. Because he's saying park on the mentality that Jesus manifests and let some of that saturate down into your DNA it will be in fact transforming so there's the text having a little trouble with my button here so put this off and be like Jesus who was actually God and took on the form the essence of a servant he added that on he What does it mean that he emptied himself? That's the word, is empty. What does it mean that he actually emptied himself? Let me show you the NIV on the parallel passage we just read through. Jesus made himself nothing, emptied himself, taking the nature of a bondservant. See that very nature, the form? It means the essence of it, which is why it also says he was essentially God. The same language when he took on Human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. Let me just park on a little Christology for a second. Because Jesus emptied himself, there's a lot of debate historically what exactly did that mean. See, some people think, oh, he stopped being God. That's impossible. You know, if God stopped being God, we'd all splatter. Did you know that? Oh, I know. You know, I mean, oh, they found a new outer star galaxy thing, the furthest one. that was in the news this week. You know, can you get your head around God? I can't get my head around all that light year stuff and, you know, Hawking's uh, brief history of time. and Anybody read it? You got to get out more, folks. Okay. Anyway. It's deep stuff, you know, and God's beyond all that. The point is God, uh, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, takes on human form. The emptying was not stopping being God. The emptying part of it, argument, is that he laid aside all that exercise in his consciousness. His consciousness came and was operating in a human form. I can't get my mind around that completely. But that's what happened. And he's equally human and equally God. He didn't stop being God. Somehow, this is philosophical turf, okay? Somehow he put his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence on automatic pilot in terms of his consciousness to become man. Is that what it means for him to empty? Well, yeah, I think that's part of it. But more importantly, it was taking on humanity. This is called theologically the humiliation of Christ. I mean, think about it. If you're God and you're going to come down to this not so fun planet, that is humiliation. Taking that on, that humbling. And here's what the language means when it says he humbled himself. King James Version, my favorite. He made himself of no reputation. He didn't care, like we would, that I'm working at a company and I just got demoted and I have to work under the person who I used to boss around. Anybody like that? How do you feel about that? It, it grates on us, doesn't it? Like, the, ooh, ooh, who? who and especially when they start leaning on you. Who do you think you are? And you know what? They've got the authority now, right? We don't like it. God made us. He comes down and submits to our situation, and he's not snotty about it. The language of his, of his pouring himself out is that he is unassuming. He's unassuming. He doesn't worry about his status For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of winning lost people, he's willing to be looked at as humiliated. Yeah, you all think I'm a jerk because I'm letting myself go under the guy I used to boss around. But you're wrong because you don't see the real world. Unassuming, he humbled himself, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a man. So there's a couple of words in here, I think I have them. Yep, emptied himself, that's the basic word, keno'o, which means to empty. That's where the whole title came from. But there's also this word, he humbled himself, which is to be unassuming. I know it looks like tepanu, but it's really a o. okay, just if you want to speak Greek. And you can walk around and say, I know a little Greek. No, no jokes, thank you. All right. Oh, you know what? I can't show you that yet. I can't. You'll start reading it. The emptying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Death to self via the cross. It was none other than Jesus Christ himself who suffered the scandalous public death of a sinner in our stead. When Paul says... Even death on the cross, you don't understand, in our language, we're so familiar with the image of a cross, we don't get the slap in the face that is in the first century culture. That is the vicious execution of evildoers. So he's willing not only to come under a boss that shouldn't be his boss, the human race, if you will, and under their judgment of sin, he's willing to suffer the worst, most degrading execution we could come up with, saying he's an evildoer, and he's not unwilling to fulfill the mind of God. Let me read it again. It was none other than Jesus himself who suffered the scandalous public death of a sinner. In our stead, he was not ashamed to be crucified for us as an evildoer. When we say, have you... Old, this is old language. i got to take that and put it at the foot of the cross. Remember that kind of language? You're mad at somebody. Somebody rubbed you wrong. Whatever. Take it and put it at... What does that mean? Leave it there. Yeah, you leave it there. Here's what it means. The cross of Christ destroys all pride. Oh, I've been offended. Oh, so I forgot you were the center of the universe. Sorry about that. I'm going to submit and lay it at the foot of the cross and be free. That's what he's saying. That's what Bonhoeffer is saying. The cross of Jesus destroys all pride. If there's ever a time in the life of the church to look at Jesus, it's during communion. You know, Easter time, Good Friday too, that's when we think of his death on the cross, but Jesus set it in place so that on a regular basis, which by the way, we are going to be more regular now, we are brought to the cross specifically so that we can think about how he emptied himself, because that helps reset our personal compass. It really does. It's at the time of communion. The cross is in our face at communion. Communion. Can I just say, the reason we we gather around the table is usually just tradition. That's why I kind of disrupted our schedule on purpose. And I may do that again. Glad you're all thrilled about that one. Because I don't want it to become rote. I don't want it to be just empty activity like happens so many times in churches. We stand, we sit, and blah, 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 and we walk out totally unchanged, no effect. What's the point? Jesus is wanting to meet with you now. So, yes, it's great to come and say, thank you, Jesus, for rescuing my soul. That's valid at the the table. I remember as a non-Christian sitting in church with my mother, and I... I got that much, and I would thank him for something I didn't even have yet. But it seemed like the right thing to do, and it was. It's right to thank him for giving his life on our behalf, amen? It's right. It's also right to gather at communion to confess our sins and get right with him. That's part of the resetting of the dial that he built in. Do this in remembrance of me, and when you do, you remember why I died, and you go, oh, you died to save me from sin. Duh. I should stop sinning. Yeah, exactly. I should have had a V8, you know. That's part of the process too. But let me push it one more, one more inch if I could. It's also, it confronts our attitude. Do I, am I embracing what he's talking about? Am I embracing that emptying of myself? Am I willing to do that? There's value in pondering the sacrifice of Jesus, the emptying of Jesus, there's value in that, in our spiritual growth. There's value in becoming morphed, changed into the image of Christ. The imitation of Christ is some of the thinking of the great saints historically, right? Thomas Kempis. So we want to welcome that, not bypass it, we want to press into it as brothers and sisters, and we're gonna do that today around the table if we could. So now I can show you the other text. Here's a classic illustration of what Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples. And by the way, the cross is a manifestation. Where he was heading the night that he did this, he was already in mode. He was in mode from the time he came into the world. Here it is. So the night he was betrayed, and he was going to be executed, He's with his disciples. They're having the last supper together. And when he had washed their feet, he took a towel, remember? And he did the job that a common slave would do, which is why Peter said, you're not, you're not washing my feet. Good old Peter. Yeah, no, no way. Jesus had to straighten him out on that. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments back on, he reclines at the table. He says, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. This is where we miss it sometimes. I am the teacher and Lord. When I say this, it goes, period. You're right about that. However, if I then, the Lord, and the teacher, wash your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Some people really get the deep meaning of this and institute a foot-washing ceremony. I'm sorry, that was just a little sarcasm. Meaning you can do that and totally miss the point. Now you can do it and get the point. And I've seen that happen. But you can do it and totally miss the point. Just like you can take communion today and totally miss the point. Because what he had in mind was not that we literally wash each other's feet. But he's talking about an attitude of, I'm caring about you. I want your benefit. And there's even an application of foot washing referring to helping us correct each other so that we clean up and we grow We provoke one another to love and good deeds and repentance and all of that. That's what's implied, that we wash one another's feet. The cross is the place of majestic, sweet condescension of God becoming a servant on our behalf. And he didn't owe it to us. And we surely didn't deserve it. But that's what he did. Amazing love. You know the song? Wesley, amazing love, he emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. So we grow, we stop being self-focused and have more of the focus on the Savior. We have so much more to learn about this emptying process, but for now, I want us simply to ponder what he did on our behalf. And, and I'm going to quote a famous guy, who's one of my heroes, Jonathan Edwards. He was pondering the glory of God, and he said, "It was." Oh, I'm reading the wrong one. You already heard Bonhoeffer. You want to hear Edwards? The difference between the joy of what he calls a hypocrite, person who's kind of missing it, and the joy of the true saint. The one who's missing it rejoices in himself. Self is the first foundation of his joy, whereas the saint rejoices in God. True saints have in their minds, in the first place, inexpressibly pleasure and delight with the sweet ideas of the glorious and amiable nature of God. His love for us, his glory. It's amazing. And this is the spring of all their delights and the cream of all their pleasures. They don't talk like that anymore, but... You get what he's saying? In other words, there's something amazingly transforming and pleasant about just pondering God for who he is rather than what he does for me. So here's the last part. The the dependence of the affections of those who miss it is in a contrary order. First, they rejoice that they are made so much of by God. In other words, oh, oh. He loved me and came and rescued me. And because he's so nice to me, he seems in a sort lovely to them. It's like, yeah, God's pretty good because he came and helped me out. No, God's good because even if he didn't help us out, he's glorious, holy, perfect, the most beautiful being that exists and is self-existent and eternal. But he did love us and he did rescue us, and that's why the scripture tells us we do love him. Why? Why? Because he first loved us, and he's the one who can transform our thinking to see him in his beauty and not just for what he does for me. But it's good that he does things for us. Amen? Otherwise, we wouldn't have this table today, and we're rescued and saved by him. So we're going to gather around the table now and uh, worship him. We're going to have the worship team come up. We're going to sing together, and then we're going to partake of the bread first. And we're going to share for a few minutes, and then we're going to partake of the cup, and then we'll be probably at the end of our service at that point.